Interest rates around the world continue to plunge. With central banks finally out of the way, the pivots finally here, rates are going where they want to go, where they need to go. And we have to ask the question, why? Why are rates going down so far and so fast? It's not just about whether the U.S. maybe or maybe not will hit a recession. That's part of it. A bigger part of it is other larger threats, more immediate threats, already apparent around other parts of the world. And yes, a big one there is China. Now, it's not always immediately clear why you should care about China. If you're outside the country, it stands to reason that, well, we feel bad for the Chinese, but that's their problem. But the truth is, we live in a very interconnected economy. And today we're going to explain not just what the risks are in China today, because they are profound, but also why you really need to care. Because the bond market sure does. A key reason why rates are going lower is the immediate threat, the serious threat of the Chinese situation, which we got more information and more data, and it does not paint a good picture. Its base case does not leave the world in a very good situation. And we'll start out with a warning that came from a well-known hedge fund manager just a couple days ago. I'm talking about Kyle Bass, who was interviewed on CNBC with uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and he said, China's property sector has been reeling in recent years as debts from property owners sour and some firms default on their bonds. According to his firm, it could wipe out an estimated $4 trillion from its financial system. Now, that's probably one of the worst case scenarios. It's a headline grabbing stuff. But that report that he referenced, that's a real report from a Chinese government official. Back in September, a fellow by the name of He Kang uh, was caught on video admitting that they don't really know how many unsold homes there are in China. How many vacant homes are there now, he asked. Each expert gives a very different number, with the most extreme believing the current number of vacant homes are enough for 3 billion people. Now, He Kang is a former deputy head of the Statistics Bureau, the NBS, and he continued, that estimate might be a bit much, but 1.4 billion people probably can't fill them. In other words, there are so many empty homes, not even China could ever possibly fill them. And even if the 3 billion number that he's throwing around here is off by an order of magnitude, would 300 million really be any better? So the scale of the real estate problem in China is absolutely immense. Even if we cannot wrap our minds around it, there is a serious, serious deficit over there that is slowly building up underneath all the while. There's a reason why China's economy first got into that situation and second, why it hasn't been able to get out. And the answer is not just the real estate bubble. The real estate bubble in China is a symptom of a global interconnected system that is no longer working the way it should. And not just in the post-2008 environment, which is where this real estate bubble came from, but also how things might have gotten worse since 2020. Now, just yesterday, the Chinese reported, actually just last night, today, China time, the Chinese reported more economic and financial accounts that are just increasingly serious. Home prices in China, the 70 city average, that declined by 0.2% year over year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's already compounding issues. It continues the slow burn of economic and real estate woes. Chinese home values aren't crashing, but they continue to stay weak no matter what the government attempts to do. 
And there's reason it's, they're not crashing as well as they're staying weak is because the government is trying to artificially stabilize the situation. And so instead of a reckless, disorderly unwinding, it's more of a slow, grinding, torturous, uh, torturous trend that continues to impact not just the financial system, but also the real economy, as we'll see in a little bit. On a monthly basis, there's a little bit of an acceleration here. Home prices in the study 70 city average down 0.3% for the second straight month, showing that even after Chinese government has intervened, it hasn't had the effect, the intended effect, certainly not in terms of real estate and home prices. And one reason why is because banks do not want to lend in China. While it might not be a financial and banking crisis, as Kyle Bass has said, there is definitely a financial and banking irregularity there that is keeping banks from operating in normal fashion. The credit statistics that came out earlier this week simply highlight and emphasize this fact. Whether or not it's a, a full-blown crisis that's going to wreck the Chinese economy, that still remains to be seen. But this is exactly what you would see if China was heading in that direction. It's heading in the direction of increasingly bad scenarios. According to the PBOC, the total outstanding stock of RMB loans in the month of November, those increased by 10.8%, which sounds terrific. 10.8% growth, 11% growth. That's a really, really big number. Except in China, that's actually a record low. And as you can see here, Chinese debt and Chinese growth of outstanding RMB loans, especially as they become more and more unproductive, has really fallen off in the last couple of years. Chinese banks do not want to lend. And the loans that they're making, they're not going into the most productive of uses. So it compounds the issue over and over again. We see the same thing in the other financial and credit statistics like total social financing. Uh, the RMB stock of loans increased by 1.1 trillion new loans in November, which is less than last November, despite the fact that November 2022 was a lockdown month. That was 16% less RMB loans than November 2021 and 20% less than November 2019. So again, Chinese banks are, they're restricting credit. They're pulling back at the margins. They're slowly pulling out of not just the real estate system, but the Chinese economy as a whole, which leaves only the governments, the federal governments as well, as the central government as well as the various municipalities to try to offset the increasing restriction of credit. And so the aggregate financing to the real economy, the total social financing number, that was two and a half trillion, largely because as Beijing has said, they're, in, they're, they're issuing more and more debt to try to offset this real estate weakness. But they're offsetting it by doing what? By essentially building stuff that the country doesn't need nor actually wants. So they're gonna waste more by borrowing more that nobody wants to lend that'll lead to even more economic trouble than, than China already is in. And we'll see again what that actually means. Just to remind you here before we get into the rest of the China video and the re really this is about what is spooking the bond market, where those are questions that we ask at our deep dive analysis at Eurodollar University and we go over the details, the macroeconomic events at our daily briefing and the background behind all of it, the monetary system, that's Eurodollar University memberships. And right now Eurodollar University has a Christmas sale ongoing. Some of the best prices we put together, especially a bundle for all three of those, the DDA, the daily briefing, 
and the memberships, one low price, Christmas sale. Check it out as our, at our website, eurodollar.university. Now, one reason why most people don't think they should, why do you care about China so much? And the answer is economics. Economics is one of the biggest problems that we all have with all of this stuff, including the monetary system, which economics has completely forgotten about for decades. And one of the other assumptions that economics has made and what economics has taught the public is that economies are individual islands, that the U.S. economy is strictly the U.S. economy, that China's economy is strictly China's economy, and there's very little linkages between the two. And the reason economics has assumed that is because, like everything else, so they can fit national policies easily into econometric models. You can't assume national policies will have these effects if we have national policies in a global economy. So they assume that the U.S. is the U.S. and everybody gets the same assumption. The public is left to believe that what happens way over there on the other side of the world can't possibly affect me. And you could, not be, you could not be more wrong. And one of those who admitted they were more wrong was a fellow by the name of Paul Krugman. You might have heard that name before. Nobel laureate, although nowadays he's, a, uh, he's more of a political carnival, carnival barker at the a partisan carnival barker over at the New York Times. But once upon a time, he was a pretty prominent, well-known economist. And he was so well-known and so prominent that the Japanese actually consulted Mr. Krugman when designing their QQE genius strategy. That was 2012 and 2013. And by the time we got to 2015 and 2016, it became very clear it was not working. And so they brought, apparently, Krugman back, went to Tokyo, had a private conversation, which he himself leaked the notes of to the public. But essentially, he said, you know, this QQE stuff doesn't seem to be going the way we wanted it to, and there are a couple reasons why that is the case. According to those leaked notes that he, he himself published, the first, he said, is that we are now in, a, in the world of pervasive economic weakness. The world of pervasive economic weakness. That's the 2008, post-2008 world. The silent depression. Here's Krugman basically admitting it. In many ways, we are all Japan now. This complicates policy for everyone, including Japan or China. The second is that the linkages among major economies are strong. They are stronger than much conventional economic discussion suggests, largely, I would argue, because of capital flows. Oh my God, he's basically admitting the euro dollar system ties the entire global economy together in a way that economists and policymakers and politicians never really fully realized before 2016. Or they just still don't realize it as much enough today either. But essentially, it is a global system and it is one that runs through the euro dollar environment. If you have a problem in Europe, a recession, a banking crisis in Europe, that is going to impact Japan. And Japan is going to have to pay attention to stuff that's going on in Europe because very soon the consequences of the European crisis are going to spill over in Japan or China or Thailand or Africa or America. So the world, even according to these neo-Keynesians who want to believe that economies are isolated individual islands, they realize that in practice, it's very different. They are interconnected. They are often globally synchronized. And the synchronizing and the synchronization runs through capital markets, the euro dollar system.
If even Paul Krugman has to admit that these, these economies are closer together, you need to understand that global bond yields, when they act in concert, which is pretty much all the time, they are sending you signals, not about a US recession or a European recession, but how a US or European recession will create problems for everyone else. And the same goes for China. If China experiences an increasingly large financial crisis, a banking crisis, an economic crisis, and it doesn't need to be a crisis proportion to have problems, but if those are the risks that are realistically facing the, the country, you better believe there's a reason why demand for safety and liquidity is going through the roof, especially now that central banks are out of the way. Rates can go down because the risks demand that they do. To really emphasize the point that I'm trying to make here about a global system and the risk to the global system that maybe you don't feel and see in your own daily life, let's talk about some other parts of the system. And the World Bank did just that earlier this year. And again, in an update a couple days ago. But earlier this year in June, the World Bank admitted more than three years after the coronavirus touched off the deepest global recession since World War II, it wasn't the coronavirus that did it, the world economy remains hobbled far short of the strength that would necessary to make substantial progress on global ambitions to eliminate extreme poverty, counter climate change, and replenish human capital. How about just economies that work in the way we need them to? That's enough of a risk already. They continued, by the end of 2024, per capita income growth in about a third of emerging market and developing economies will be lower than it was on the eve of the pandemic. In low-income countries, especially the poorest, the damage is even larger, and about a third of those per capita incomes in 2024 will remain about 6% uh, below the average in 2019. We got worse off after 2020 when we were not well off before 2020. And one of the reasons we got worse off is because the recovery wasn't really a recovery. The global economy is now attempting to revert to its mean, which is not a good one. And one of the ways in which it's doing that, and one of the ways it's being forced into doing that, is all of these major risks in China. Because one of the reasons why these emerging market developing economy countries are struggling so badly is because China is. And one of the reasons China is struggling so badly is because the rest of the world is. It's globally synchronized. It's all one system, even if it doesn't work out homogeneously all over the place. Whether you realize it or not, there is an impact there. Why do we think that, where did this mass migration wave come from? Think about from the perspective of those who are, are, being, who are suffering the most from this silent depression. I would want to pick up and move to someplace better too. And the worse it gets, the more people are going to want to migrate. The worse it gets, the more countries are going to want to invade their neighbors. Venezuela? The worse it gets, the more unstable the entire world becomes. The more that inhibits flow of capital through the Eurodollar system, the more it makes economic life even more difficult. Even if you don't see it or realize it in your own daily life, it is happening and it is having profound effects. And the biggest risk moving forward right now that we can see is China. China is indeed the biggest risk. As the, as the World Bank said just a couple days ago, 
Real GDP growth is projected to recover to 5.2% in 2023, and that's all but because of the artificiality of the government. Not that the World Bank says that, but that's the reality. But that, even that is four percentage points lower than projected in the June 2023 economic update. While growth momentum is expected to stabilize in the near term, and we'll see that's not the case, propelled by a gradual recovery of consumer sentiment, nope, that's not happening, and the impact of policy stimulus, continued weakness in the real estate sector, persistently tepid external demand, dim the short-term outlook. And as they say, the outlook is subject to considerable downside risks. And those downside risks in China are no longer just risks. We see that in the real economy. The Chinese last night also reported on their economic accounts, retail sales, industrial production, and fixed asset investment. And while industrial production was the one that responded most to the government's efforts, as you would expect, ramping up production of, of building stuff nobody needs, retail sales were incredibly weak yet again. Though they didn't appear to be, they rose 10.1% year over year. That was only because of the base effect being compared to November 2022's major lockdowns and protests too, disruptions in the, in the Chinese economy. So 10.2% is already disappointing. And to show you exactly what I mean, on a two-year basis of just 1.8%, that is one of the lowest two-year changes for Chinese retail, retail sales in the entire series history. In fact, the NBS reported on a monthly basis, retail sales were actually down a slight amount in November, rather than growing, rather than re increasing, these are not risks to China. China's consumer sentiment is not improving. The situation continues to get worse. So the premise of our discussion here today, interest rates are going lower and going lower fast now that central banks are out of the way. So we have to ask why that is. Yes, it could be related to Oh, maybe the U.S. is in recession. Maybe it's not recession. Yes, it's related to Europe's in recession and the recession looks worse. But when you look around the world, this globally interconnected world, why are interest rates going so low now that central banks are out of the way? And a key reason for it is that they're, they're not just risks about China. And it's not, you know, it doesn't need to have a full-blown banking crisis for there to be a negative impact on you and me. This interconnected world means that China's big problems will not stay in China. That's what the bond market is betting on. And without the Fed to worry about, it is betting more and more strongly on safety and liquidity. And I know there are people out there who say this is all just scaremongering. This is fear porn. But there are very real risks. There are very real concerns, alarms, fear that it's driving these market yields. It's not central bank policies. It's certainly not QE, all the excuses you've heard over the many years for interest rates going lower. Something is driving rates lower and we need to figure out what that is. It's not fear mongering, it's not fear porn. It's what the markets are actually doing. Safety and liquidity. Growth and inflation expectations in a world where China is experiencing one intractable problem after another that only get worse, Growth and inflation expectations for me, for you, for everyone, they're going down like interest rates. Just recently, I did an update on the condition of China's liquidity system, its banking system. That's the video linked below me. As always, I thank you very much for joining me. Check out our Christmas sale at Eurodollar.University. And if you are a member or subscriber, I cannot thank you enough. And until next time, please take care.